This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri peoples of the Kulin Nation. The country we now call Australia was built on the stolen lands of hundreds of unique Indigenous nations, and we recognise that as white women, we continue to partake in and benefit from the act of colonisation. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to Books Up. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to Books Up. Was that your sexy voice? Welcome to Book Slut, a podcast bringing erotica out of the gutter and into a snobbier gutter. Hi, my name is Abby. And I'm Sam. It should go without saying that this podcast is not safe for work, so put your headphones in. Hi everyone, so uh, just to start off the way we mean to go on... Uh, last podcast, I believe I made a little bit of an error. I said that non-sexy books um, is one of the fastest growing areas of romance sales. I went through and reread my notes like a good nerd. That was incorrect. It is actually just a large part of romance sales, but is not one of the fastest growing areas. I think it's important to clarify. Anyway... Let's start. Okay, so we're doing a bonus episode today. Woohoo! Uh, Abby, do you want to kick us about it? <laughs> bad. Yeah, so essentially I was on the tram and I came across this article um, in Jezebel, which I'm going to recommend if, if you find it interesting to actually go and, and read it because I'm going to give a real spark note summary of like the main the main points, um, which do not encompass the entirety of it. Um, and it's, it's called Inside the Spectacular Implosion at the Romance Writers of America. And it's by Kelly Faircloth. And Kelly Faircloth is a journalist who I have now read quite a bit of because she covers a lot of romance for, mm. for Jezebel, which I didn't realize was even a thing and is really cool. And um, she is quite balanced and has a real respect for the genre and um yeah I just I spent a lot of time reading her stuff which was not useful to this podcast but useful to (laughs) my life we will put a little link to the article in the show notes yeah all right so in the first episode we were discussing kind of the romance uh behemoth uh, in in Mills and Boone and all of this. Also, kind of side note, but scary fact that I discovered that has made me more determined to buy secondhand romance books. Harlequin, mm-hmm. owned by Rupert Murdoch. What? Yeah, he has literally got a finger in every pie. And yes, I mean that in a sexy <laughs> way. I was gonna be like, don't, <laughs> don't, don't. Sorry. <laughs> Ew. Yeah, he they bought it out. Um, I think early two thousand. Oh, that just makes me so that. mad. Like I can just imagine him being like, "Oh, there's a lot of people, a lot of people buying these books. I'm gonna yeah get in so, on that." So he yeah, it's it's upsetting. Okay, so makes me more likely to go to like self published kind of stuff. Which is, yeah, which but then you're supporting this? Amazon, aren't you? Oh God, <laughs> <laughs> ethical consumerism is a lie. <laughs> anyway um 
So, the gist of it is that there was a tweet done by an author called Courtney Milan, and she's half Chinese. She is both an author, but also was on the board of, um, she's on the board of somewhere in the Romance Writers Guild. She was on the Ethics Committee. Ethics. Oh, she was on the Ethics Committee. Um, And one of her big pushes was to get kind of more diversity within the Romance Writers Guild, because that shit's fucked. Yeah. Like, it's super white and... Which is interesting because it was founded by an African-American woman back in 1980. Yeah. But in terms of, like, the overwhelming um, author space in America is is white. I think it was about 80%. Yeah. And so, and I was reading stuff about, so the big, for those who don't know, the big um, award ceremony is um, the Reaches. Yeah. And I read a thing that was saying... Um, Books by black authors had accounted for less than 0.5% of the total number of Rita finalists. Yeah, and it was only last year that the first ever black author was And I think there was a, a Southeast Asian yeah. author as well who yeah. won something, which was massive. But I think, like, this, this ties into a thing that I read about fantasy books that um, applies over both, and essentially sexism... In fantasy, it was calling out sexism, but also racism. And in romance, specifically with this kind of implosion, it's it's talking about racism. The idea that people can't relate to these stories that have black women and men in them. Yeah. And so um, we need to keep on just pumping out, like, white people, because white people are the only people having sex. <laughs> but we have paranormal romance. Yeah. And that's the exact same thing that they were saying in fantasy. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. You can believe in, like, fucking talking trees and elves, but you can't believe in a woman pirate. Yeah, that's, you know? that's nuts. Like, extend your imagination just a little bit. Yeah, and it's it's a similar thing here. It's like, well, you have, like, vampires having sex. Yeah. Why can't you have actual real people having sex that just happen to be a different colour to yeah. a lot of the authors? Yeah, it also completely disregards that... It's like, sure, maybe, it, you know, the people reading it can't relate to um, an LGBT character or they can't relate to a black character, but there are LGBTQI people out there and black people out there who maybe want to read things that they can relate to. Yeah, and also, like, part of reading is building empathy and you often, like, most of the books I read are about people that are not like me. Are boring? Are boring? <laughs> That was a slip that went to the end of my sentence <laughs> before the beginning. What I was trying to say is that a book about someone like me would be boring because I live it. Yeah. Like, I don't need to read about me. I don't yeah. want to read about me. I want to read about... And also, I'm a white middle-class woman. Like, <laughs> Yeah. I don't need to have myself reinforced. I got it. Like, I've had that for most of my life. Yeah, like, I'm definitely. happy to read about something different. But I mean, we expect representation in all areas, right? We want to see it in politics. We want to see it in the pop culture that we're consuming. So, of course, it follows on. We want to see it in the books that we're reading, including romance and erotica. Absolutely. And I think representation, like, all of this stuff about, you know, representation being the same as what the population is, like, that's bullshit. Because... 
if the population is mostly white, then we're getting reinforced by our peers of what whiteness is and what our lives are. Like in, in that case, we should have more representation of the minority and the ma- marginalized group because they need it more. Like, yeah, I don't need it more. I don't struggle. And also if there are romance people who romance people, romance books, <laughs> sorry, I'm getting into rant mode. You can tell because I'm, well, you can't tell, but gesticulating tell wildly, throw my arms around. I guess you guys all know what side I'm on in this debate. <laughs> we haven't even got to the debate yet. So, <laughs> there was a tweet. Courtney Milan put up a tweet, uh, essentially calling this other book that was written in like the late 90s also. Yeah. Um, it was called Somewhere Lies the Moon by Catherine Lynn Davis. And she called it, and I quote, a fucking racist mess because it represented. Um, Asian women and Chinese women in particular as these subservient kind of just pawns and um, she is half Chinese and she was like, this is gross. Yeah. And she called it out. And then uh, two complaints were made, one by Davis and one by Tisdale, who there's a whole complicated thing. And again, go read the article is like, has her own publishing yeah. little business going on and everyone's got links to everyone else and it's really there's a lot of fingers and a lot of pies. Reading it I was like, this is like a very complicated plot in a romance novel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> See, this is where they get all of their information about like cooking the books in yeah. the Texas Cattlemen's <laughs> Club or whatever. It doesn't make a lot of sense that it's very complicated. Yeah. Yeah, I felt like I needed to, like, create a mind map of all the characters involved. (laughs) So the point being, complaints were made and the board decided to uh, investigate the complaints by creating this separate ethics committee from the ethics committee. They first asked Milan to, to step down, which she did, while they investigated, but then they also just created this other committee and then held this meeting where everything's like under wraps and uh, decided to kick Milan out of, well, she's not allowed to hold any sort of office mm. in the Romance Writers America Guild thing anymore. Mm. Um, so this is just, just kind of torn it all apart. Yeah, well, I mean, after, after that, and this happened um, late 2019, so um, it was two days before Christmas. So nine of the uh, board members Mm. left, eight of which were women of colour. So like quite a huge outpouring of support for for Milan, which was, um, you know, it speaks magnitudes, I think. And what I gathered was that there has been this kind of like long-standing cultural issue happening inside the the Romance Writers America um, group yeah i know guild. It's hard. Guild association <laughs> sorry we're obviously novices with the romance writers association people but that's not to say that it's not significant like just to put it into mm. context like they are one of the biggest writers associations in america i think like, they are the biggest they're they're certainly out there yeah it's it's massive and they do like they did play a pretty like pivotal role when it came to um, networking and connecting authors. Like when you think that it was it was founded in 1980, mm. this is before you know um, it was, you had ready access to the internet and email and things like that. Like they came together 
I guess, kind of out of a reaction to the disrespect and the exclusion that the romance genre and authors were finding in the first place, you know, in the face of male publishers and male authors. And the initial founding group was quite diverse Mm. and they managed to achieve a pretty remarkable thing in bringing together this group of women, mostly women, and create this network in the 80s when there wasn't anything like that and were able to support and, and uplift women and provide advice like I read it quite a good article um in uh it was I it was in the gut not the guardian the the conversation because I kind of went down this big rabbit hole of like how terrible the RWA was Mm. is (laughs) um yeah I suddenly ended up on all these forums (laughs) I was reading like just people tearing each other to shreds over this stuff um Anyway, but I read this article and it had it did like pay some credit where credit's due in terms of like the role that the RWA played in being able to to bring some people together, but it was just like time and time again missed opportunities to be genuinely inclusive when like yeah, it, it just blows my mind that they they started this thing in a reaction to be being excluded and then continued to create a culture where they are then again excluding people yeah absolutely and I think like and so that should be said one of the fallouts from this is that they have these these annual conferences and um a lot of the publishers have pulled out yeah and are not supporting it um I think the other thing to note is that this ethics committee and and these complaints is essentially a sham I think I don't think it's too big of a leap to say <laughs> that it was. We're gonna have the RWA on, <laughs> on our backs now. <laughs> but I mean, they're never gonna listen to this. We're never getting that popular. <laughs> um, so they state in their code of conduct that uh, people's personal uh, social media can't be taken into account. Yeah. And this was a tweet. On you, can't, you can't put that in your code of conduct and then and then just go in, like entirely against it. It's just kind of it's just a bit insane and I think like there was a lot of hope with the new board coming in that they were going to have this new outlook on diversity and yeah um well it did seem like there was a little bit of movement in the right direction starting to happen especially with Milan kind of um at the at the front of that um alongside Alyssa Cole. Cole Yeah. Like it seemed like there was a bit of change brewing and now this has happened and it's completely fallen flat. And the the sense I got was that everyone's kind of like, well, fuck, like where could they possibly go from here? Like how do, how on earth would you begin to rebuild from that? Yeah. And how do you, how do you get people's trust back? Because essentially you have, I mean, as we have in, it's like a microcosm of general politics, I guess, except for with a little feminist layer on top of it you have a bunch of older white people in charge Mm. when you have younger people coming in and being like, hey, this isn't cool. They freak out, they close ranks, and then they do this kind of shit and they get away with it. Although it seems like they're not really getting away with it this time. Which is great. Yeah. But, um... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot... We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you want to, before we pivot, um, do you want to know another example of a good thing that they've done? Just yes. Just in the name of balance. Yes. You know? I so balance. <laughs> um, so essentially, like, lots of romance authors write under at least one, if not multiple, pseudonyms. Mm-hmm. It's really, really common. Um, and if they write under multiple, they'll create sort of distinctive names to sort of fit the brand of each series. So if they write like a Western one, they might make a more like Western style pseudonym or, you know. You know, um, you know right? Yeah, obviously. <laughs> I have multiple pseudonyms <laughs> Multiple costumes, mostly. <laughs> Um, so for decades, um, Harlequin, which for those who don't know is, is, is a big romance publisher. Owned by Rupert Murdoch. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so it wouldn't let authors own the rights to their own pseudonyms. Yeah. So essentially you were kind of trapped in, in with that publisher if you wanted to keep that, that pseudonym and so keep like your, your following. Mm. Um, and so... In 2002, the RWA um, under President Shirley Hailstock, who is also African-American, um, persuaded Harlequin to let authors keep their own pseudonyms, even when they switched publishers. So that, like, that's the kind of advocacy that they yeah. are sort of supposed to be doing. And obviously, you know, that kind of thing is important, but it doesn't negate the fact that it's like, well, great, you, you're advocating for only who you deem to be yeah. worthy of being and part I, of it. I think in previous times that they have acted as um, sort of like a union, I yeah. guess. Right. And I guess in the, as we're now operating in like a Sesta Foster world with extra censorship, we should talk about that later <laughs> on. Um, that someone to, like, a, like an organization to be able to back up authors on online platforms like that, I think will continue to be really important, but maybe, maybe not the RWA. Yeah, and I I think um, the other thing to kind of think about with this is that, and I and once again it's the Jezebel article that I was looking at that that raised this point that I I don't know I guess I thought about a lot because of uh, Seven Necessary Sins that I was reading previously that that said you know would anti-racist activism and the backlash against it play out differently in an industry run by women. And in particular by women who were writers and readers who by definition love stories of joy and reconciliation. And I think that's an interesting, it's interesting to see this play out in an organization that is dominated by women Mm. because it puts a lie to the fact that people trot out that, you know, women are in some way better than men or more compassionate than men. Yeah. It's almost like a little by virtue of being a woman. Yeah. It's almost like a little um, social experiment of like, what would it, what would the world look like if it was run completely by women? You know, racial prejudice knows no gender. Yeah. And I mean, like, where was RWA in this whole thing, which I didn't even realize until I looked into this, um, of African-American authors of romance getting put on African-American shelves in bookstores. Yeah. You know, rather than just being in with romance writers. Beyond that, like these these subcategories of books that they use to kind of classify, and there's one called Ebony. Oh, oh no. 
<laughs> so like, you know, <sighs> this this isn't something that that has just cropped up. This is something that is has been there for a long time. And and you know, I was reading stories of of women who who had approached tables during these conferences and had other riders wipe women get up and leave you know and it's it's this you know no one's outwardly saying this stuff but it's all just there under the surface which is pretty gross um and it's not just uh racial discrimination either it's all all kinds of other intersections like especially in the lgbtqia space like in 2005 they put out a, a survey to all of their members and the question in the survey was whether romance should be defined as between two people or as between mm. a man and a woman. Yeah, I saw that. And I, I was like, 2005 is not that long ago. Like, that's disgusting. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Also insane because, like, even if you are straight, people consume sexual content that's not, you know, necessarily reflective of what they themselves do in the bedroom or are sexually attracted to or are romantically attracted to. Like, how limiting do you want to be? Aside from being discriminatory, it's always just fucking boring. Yeah. And also, one of the things that I saw come up over and over again in these articles where they were interviewing uh, other authors and both authors of colour and white authors is that, you know, there was this, there was this real idea of what is political, yeah, and that you know, for for some people, romance isn't political, and it's not a political space. Now, I will give you, I will take money off you if you can guess <laughs> what race of people were saying that it was not a political space. Because <laughs> I don't want to give my money away, <laughs> but yeah. it was essentially these like a, a bunch of white women saying, "Well, this isn't political. This is just." this is just romance yeah. and it's like that it's not good enough yeah it's not good enough at this point to be lazy about politics you choosing and like i it blows my mind that people still need to say this and this isn't my thought this is like a paraphrase of about a thousand much smarter people than me choosing to be apolitical is a political choice yeah totally there is no room for being apolitical yeah. there isn't like, there's room for having discussions with people who have different politics to you. I'm not saying everyone should suddenly either become fascist or anarchist. <laughs> like, there is a massive spectrum there. But a apolitical is nothing, you know. Like, yeah, all it does is shine a light on your privilege that le- allows you to rest on being apolitical because it doesn't in- impact you. And, yeah, and but it does impact the marginalised people around yes, you. Yes, you're making a choice against them exactly uh and i think it kind of this idea of not being political goes sort of hand in hand with this whole idea of being like nice and polite Mm. um which was kind of at play in this kind of context as well when it comes to getting a group of women together and there's this expectation that you don't rock the boat you don't disrupt you don't speak too loudly your opinions especially if you're shaking things up or wanting to question the status quo and yeah I think this that really came into play here and that's it like if you are the person that is speaking up you're not just speaking up you're not passionate you're yelling you're intimidating other women you're you know doing x y and z like 
plethora of negative connotations here. And I was reading the speech from um, Susan Brockman, which was in 2018 at the RWA gala when she was awarded her like life achievement, I think it was. Yeah. And um, she, I mean, one of the things she said was, you know, we're not going to change by being fucking nice, I think is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I love how much these women swear. Yeah. I'm so into it. <laughs> but also, I mean, this is a total side note, but these galas sound fucking off the chain. <laughs> like, I was reading, I was reading about this one where, you know, because they have all these sessions and panels and whatever. And I was reading about a session, which, like, a session, because obviously, romance writers span multiple things you've got you know history you've got paranormal stuff you've got a whole bunch of facts that you need to know to make that realistic but I just and I knew that but I didn't realize that like how these panels would go about essentially one of these panels was like there was a session on firefighting (laughs) that was led by one of like a best-selling author's firefighting husband so he was a firefighter and he led a session on firefighting. But in the thing that I read, it said the session involved him hoisting up participants and carrying them around the room. Like, I mean, I guess you've got to have like first-hand experience if you want to describe that in a beautiful exactly. romantic Which way. it often happens. You get hoisted up and like, I don't know, over the threshold or I whatever that is. I want to go there, Oh, please. I just, I want to be a part of this gala, even though, you know, RWA may never have another one, but... I want to be part of a better gala. <laughs> I want to be part of a less racist gala, yeah. please. And maybe, like, because we are still talking romance here, which I think we need to highlight as well. Like, um, you know, it's it's definitely well and truly within, like, the happily ever after realm. We're not talking, like, hardcore erotica stuff here. That, yeah, that's true. I want to go to the gala with the erotica stuff, please. <laughs> well, they do have a Rita for erotic. They have an uh, erotic category. I want to... Yes. Um, so I, they do. They recognize it, but yes, this is mostly romance um, focus. But what the thing that I was wanting to say about Susan Brockman, which kind of goes towards beyond her being like you know being nice and whatever, she also said this thing that said um, when you write what you see and what you know and what you've been told to believe, you are perpetuating exclusion and the cravenness and fear that's at its ancient foundation. Yeah, I'm talking to you, white, able, straight, cis, allegedly Christian women. (laughs) And don't at me with not all white women because 53% of us plunged us into our current living hell. Talking about Trump. Yeah. Oh, what a boss. I know. Like, her speech is highly recommended to read. And and she got a standing ovation. So there's obviously people in the room who are on board. It sounds like it's more of a governance Issue. Which is strange because the, the board was quite diverse at the, yeah. at, at the point that this all went down. So yeah. it's it's kind of, I, I think that's the part of this I struggle with. Like, why? Yeah. Why did Do you this think happen? that it's just so ingrained? Like, I don't know. Like people I'm... can uphold things even if they themselves don't fit that descriptor if you know what I mean and I don't I yeah I don't know if it's that or and like a combination of personality politics as anyone who's been in like some sort of committee yeah talk about let alone a committee with a even though we talk about it being a a big industry it's a shrinking industry like like uh published novels are a shrinking industry you now have these people who are 
fighting over a shrinking pool and um, being part of the association is often a good way to meet publishers and to get your work out there. Yeah, exactly. You kind of have to like, you know, that that idea of having to like play the game to to get anywhere. Yeah. And and I guess it goes on to that thing of like, like, I think there's quite a lot of that in fighting. I mean, and I'm speculating, to be honest, but uh, from my knowledge of dealing in any sort of human organization. Totally. But I, it's this idea of people who wields power. Yeah. And at the moment, it's still skewed towards white people and older white people. And I don't know that that is reality. I think it's our reality because we keep buying into it. We keep telling ourselves that old white people have the power and therefore we shouldn't upset them. Mm-hmm. But fuck the white boomers. Like, <laughs> They, if they don't agree, like, this isn't for them. This isn't the space for them. They shouldn't be writing romance and they shouldn't be enshrining racism into their books. Yeah. Like, you know, and we haven't talked about it, but, but they definitely want to. All of the books with Native Americans in it, calling them savages. Yeah, and using calling, all kinds you know, of derogatory language. Like, that kind of stuff is... It's just not okay. It's just not okay. And and they, they're older. I don't think they are out as much anymore, but I, I could be wrong. I don't read a lot of Native American <laughs> romance crossovers, but um, they, but they were written in the 80s and the, yeah. and the 90s. Like, that's not too far away. Absolutely. I think that this... What has happened with the RWA is is really interesting beyond just romance um, and romance authors and romance readers. And I think that we should all keep in mind, all of you listeners out there, <laughs> keep in mind that it is kind of a reflection of of the society that we live in. I think like it, it's it's kind of like a yeah microcosm in and of itself. And I think the portraying it as just like bitchy catfighting, you know, a bunch of women having an argument is really disrespectful and also kind of oversimplifies and um undermines the the real sort of controversy and the issues like the deep-seated social issues that are underlying it do you know what i mean and you have to keep in mind that you know i don't actually know the stats on this but i'm gonna say at least Tens of thousands of people are making their living doing this. Yeah. And like this is their many, job. many more are consuming what's being put out yeah. there. So it's it's a big deal. Absolutely. Before we round up, I um I I wanted to see if the so there's a Romance Writers Australia mm. and I wanted to see if they had like made any comment on it. And I was like, well, this is a big deal. Like maybe they've written a blog post on it or tweeted about it or something. I could not find a single thing from the RWA, but the Australian <laughs> version. I don't know what that R-W-Oz. was about. Yeah. I think it's a, I think I, I don't know what's happening with them, but I found it interesting that they haven't said anything about it. And I just hope that they are seeing this and learning from it. Yeah. I'd be very interested to see what the board of well, like, the Australian... I had a look. I was really hoping for, like, a group photo. <laughs> Not yeah. that you can judge purely by appearances, but I really wanted to get a sense of it. They had a list of board members, and I started to Google them all, and then 
I stopped Googling it. <laughs> you were like, I have a lie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes. This is maybe not how I should be spending my time. Yeah. And if you have a shelf in any store that is called ex-ethnicity books, <laughs> stop that. Like, yeah, well, Borders used to have that policy and look where they ended up. Yeah, <laughs> along with most of the other bookstores. Oh, R.I.P. <laughs> but, you know, like, I just don't do that. That's, that's my takeaway. Oh, that was a lot. We will <laughs> post some links. It's interesting reading. Um, draw a mind map of the characters. Oh Follow them God. on Twitter. Oh, God. Draw a mind map. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> See. See you next time.